Welcome to this week on the alt-right. I hope you guys can hear me okay um, and see me and everything. Mark Collette will be uh, monitoring the chat, so you can let him know that in the chat. Um, I've got a bit of a new setup happening right now, so things might be a little bit awkward at some points as I have to look at the screen over here in order to read uh, read what we're talking about today. Um, how are things going for you, Mark, this week? How do you think this week went? Personally or politically? <laughs> well, whichever you want to share. <laughs> well, we'll stick to the politics. Okay. I think, I think um, as, as with every week, in the Western world, there's always something that takes us sort of a step closer to what people call peak degeneracy. It's sort of when you think you've sort of seen everything, something comes along that kind of even shocks a seasoned nationalist. And one of the things this week that particularly riled me, because it's, it's one of the things we were discussing on the show about the sexualization of children, last week, the sexualization of children, um, in schools. I think it's a California school that started sending primary school children to the head, to, to sort of the principal, as you guys call it over there, to us it's the, the head teacher, um, for misgendering other children. I mean, I'm not sure how primary school children can be transgender. Um, it's obviously like a complete state of insanity. Like if I had a child and my child came in and said it thought it was, you know, a dog, a tree, a cat, or something it blatantly wasn't, like it was a little boy and it thought it was a girl, I'd be like, time to stop being silly, you know, put your correct clothes on and go to school and be what you are. Yeah. You know, yeah. I wouldn't be sending my little boy to school in a dress, um, let alone calling for children who called my boy a boy to be admonished. But, you know, this is, this is how it goes. And, you know, each week there's something worse. And it, it's not just the sort of sexualization of children. It's not sort of just the pushing of the transgender issue, but it's also kind of like the pushing of the police state, that the police state now extends beyond the police and it's now in the schools. So, you know, the, this child who's been admonished for misgendering, you know, this mentally ill child who thinks it's something it's not and pretty soon it's not just going to be the transgenders that is there are going to be kids going to school claiming their cats and people are going to have to actually sort of put up with this i mean we see this where i live actually these furry people who dress up as animals walk around the city center now having kind of like animal days i mean i i was going to say i growl at them but you know that would probably be playing into what they'd like you know i sort of look at them with utter yeah. disdain oh my gosh I it's mean, not going to be long, I, is it? <laughs> yeah, if I recall correctly, like there's actually a, a literal medical condition that's existed existed for hundreds of years called lunacy, where people <laughs> think they're werewolves. So, I mean, are they going to be? Are they just like another one of the trans community now? Like, are we going to stop putting them on meds and putting them in mental hospitals? I I personally think. It, where it will end, we don't know. It's like this roller coaster, and we're we're just going constantly down and accelerating as we go. And when we finally hit what we, as I say, when when you hit this bit where you think it can't go any lower, there's always something there to surprise you. And with the left and the liberals, you never quite know what that's going to be. And it's never something that's a pleasant surprise either. It's always something that is utterly stomach churning and enraging. So you know, there's a good black pill to start today's show with. <laughs> Yeah, so would you mind just quickly checking the, um, the live comments for me and just make sure that everyone can hear us okay and sort of Yeah, yeah, we're getting, yeah, we've got, uh, yes, yeah. everyone, everyone happy in the chat? Yeah, everyone seems to be, everyone seems okay. to be happy. There's Fantastic. a guy called Benny the Gangster, he wants a shout out. Hello, Benny. 
He's somebody that uh, <laughs> follows my Twitter yeah. feed and mocks anyone that disagrees with me. So he's quite a funny chap, actually. He doesn't tweet himself. He just uh, winds up lefties in a very, very amusing manner. So hello, Benny. Oh, dear. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we've got, oh, my gosh, so many things. I, I literally have such a long list here. I don't even think we can cover it all. I actually stopped um, noting down things to talk about this week because there was just too much stuff. I was just like so many crazy things. It's insane. So if you guys want to see it, you're going to have to go and look up my Gab account, gab.ai slash McCarthy, because that is where I'm reposting all this stuff. It's insane. Um, but anyhow, so a lot of different, I wanted to talk about some kind of wins in a sense. I know this is a bit of a strange one, but half of Brits in new survey um, consider Islam to be a threat to Western civilization. So I know, but I actually consider that to be fairly good because I mean, that means that about half the population are, you know, reasonably red-pilled in this sense. Oh, I definitely agree with that. And I, I think I spoke about this one week when we talked about the Brexit stalls I did. It's really funny when people first start talking to you, they want to talk about real soft issues. So they're like, oh, what do you think about um, Europe? Yeah, I don't really like Europe. And when they, when you sort of agree with them on that, they're like, and immigration, that's not going too well. And you're like, yeah, it's not. And then all of a sudden they're like, but what really annoys me, and everyone who takes that sort of journey eventually gets to Islam. And for many people in Britain, obviously it's a massive issue. And where I live, I mean, people know it's, I live in Leeds. Um, it's right next to Bradford. <laughs> so, you know, you've got an you've got a place where the Muslim population has absolutely taken over an entire city. And I think people who have seen that, they fear it. And, you know, this explosion of like the issue with grooming, you know, you've got grooming, you've got terrorism, you've got the acid attacks. You know, it's not just a matter of us looking at them and going, oh, they're a bit different. We don't want them around. The impact on the quality of life for British people is absolutely huge. And everywhere you go, it's starting to affect it even if you just look at you know the halal meat issue and the issue of people wearing burqas in the street and i'm as i say i'm not surprised but one thing i will say which is surprisingly positive for me because i know that people say i tend to sort of like prattle on about kind of like black pills and give everyone the sort of like very depressing view i would say if 50 percent of people in britain are admitting that islam is a problem the actual percentage will be much higher because most people who would talk to me and be very honest because they'll be like marks on our side they probably wouldn't be so honest with somebody who's interviewing them and most of the who they don't know or from the media and most of these interviews they're really disingenuous because they actually don't interview the common man on the street they tend to interview people in public sector jobs like nurses teachers police officers people who have been vetted for political correctness before they got the job so for them to be saying it and to be saying it openly to somebody interviewing for this kind of survey i would actually say this is not just a good thing but it's phenomenal and i would say there'd be much more than 50 percent you've got to remember that's not that's 50 percent of society not just of whites so i'd say when you look at it i would say probably i would i would say up to two-thirds, three-quarters of whites will now be very, very worried about the Islamic question. Right. So if you are in the UK, I mean, you now know that one in two people who you come into contact with and talk to on a daily basis is concerned about Islam. So, you know, we actually have quite a good foot in the door here, don't we? We, cert we certainly do. And I think 
it's a good thing to talk to people about and it's a good thing to get people red pilled on because for them it's a simple stepping stone to us like one thing i don't like um i don't like people going in hard with newcomers because you can sort of scare them off but islam's one of those things it's a stepping stone you know on the left use stepping stones i talked about it in my talked about it towards the end of last week's show and i talked about it in my podcast this week about their transitional demands getting people on board and transitioning from our way to their marxist revolution and we in a way have to use those transitional demands ourselves and islam's a very very good thing for people who are not quite as red-pilled on other things to get involved, because it's a very visual thing. You see it, and it's in your face every day. And it, and we are a nation of, of, of animal lovers. We're a nation of people who accept and deify and, you know, enjoy looking at women. You know, I enjoy looking at women, and <laughs> I don't want to see beautiful women. I don't want to see them walking down the street like sluts, but equally, I certainly don't want to see them walking down the street like giant black letterboxes. It's not good. It's not good. And I don't want I don't want animals being tortured. I mean, I'm a meat eater. You can, you know, I'm you know, if anyone wants to take me out for a steak at the weekend, go for it. But that doesn't mean I think animals need to be unjustly put through through excess suffering and halal slaughter is just obscene. Um, so I think Islam is something that we can really start to red people on because it is an affront to so many parts of Western life, and it does offend an awful lot of people. I absolutely agree. It's a great place to start. Unfortunately, some people do get hung up on the Islam question, you know, as a lot of Trump supporters, you know, they're like, hey, look, we're just not going to import, you know, people from these countries that are exporting ISIS members. Um, but they don't mind importing people from other countries where, you know, the people are known to be very violent, to have extremely high rates of welfare usage, etc. So hopefully we can kind of bring them on board gradually. But hey, um, it's a great thing that people are noticing. The other thing I wanted to mention was, um, you must have heard about this, obviously, I think I probably found it on your Twitter feed anyway. <laughs> this, uh, um, the the head of, chief of police in London are now saying they want to deprioritize emergency call-outs to middle-class white men who speak English. Because being middle-class, being white, being a man or speaking English means you should be deprioritized when you call the police, right? No, I, I, I saw that, yeah, it was on my Twitter feed. But the thing that I find really, I mean, I'm laughing about this and I shouldn't be laughing about this, but when the left- when You're I the one, you're, Mark, you're actually one of the people- I know, I'm, I'm dead, I'm done for. When, <laughs> when Antifa find where I live and they're beating me to death outside my house, the police will be like, mate, you've got two hours to wait, I'm finished. But the reason I find this funny is when I first got involved in politics, I was at uni and I'd say things to people like, look, whites are becoming second class citizens in their own country. And these sort of like, you know, snobby leftists would sort of look down their nose and sort of snort in disgust as if it was like some crazy conspiracy. They're like, oh my God, why do you talk this nonsense as if? And now it's literally not just us saying it, but the actual institutions of power and governance saying, you now are lit literally rubber stamped, second class citizens, that's it. If you're getting your head kicked in, you are less important than somebody who's black getting their head kicked. Exactly the same crimes, but you are less important. And we'll come out and help him so he gets away with you know, a nasty bruise and a split lip. But by the time we get to you, you'll have brain damage. But tough luck, mate, you're white. And that's effectively what they've said, which is, you know, again, 
we're talking about reaching peak degeneracy. Well, you know, over, we talk about peak degeneracy, but this is like literal anti-white legislation. And again, this is only going to get worse and worse and worse to the point where if you are white and you call somebody out, you're going to literally have to, you know, put on a Jamaican accent and claim it's a racist attack and the police will be there in five minutes. In fact, that that really is what I say. If you can do a good Asian accent, if you can do a good Jamaican accent, call the police, talk like that and say it could well be racial. They'll be there in five minutes and believe me, you'll get top class service then. Yeah, we'll probably get, get arrested for like lying to police or something, <laughs> or reporting a hate crime, or whatever. But yeah, so I we're not really thought. recommending this, guys. No, actually, I am, and I'll tell you why. I lived with a guy when I was in the BMP. When I was in the BMP, and the left came out to our house, and they spray painted "Nazi scum live here." on the street outside our house and they spray painted my gray bmw with giant swastikas so when i went shopping to asda i was like driving around literally in the swastika mobile and it was oh. like it was pretty crazy and when the guy i was living with rang the council he rang the council and says oh somebody's put nazi scum outside my house because i'm a bmp candidate and the council said, yeah we'll be out within we've got a three-month waiting period for the graffiti to be removed so he was like what am i going to do like everyone's going to want to know what the score is so they actually he actually rang back an hour later and said somebody's put racist graffiti outside my drive which is a racial slur against me no joke they were out the same day and it was removed wow <coughs> yeah just so goes to show work. priorities you know and we should, I mean, I'm sure we already know this stuff, you know, how they discriminate against white people and how they make such a hullabaloo out of anything that's racial discrimination, etc. Um, you know, we could name several different ways in which they do this, but it gets a little bit repetitive. Um, some good news for, for British independence, for British sovereignty, is that Japan has decided, and this is just so funny, they've actually decided to prioritise their trade deals with the UK over the EU. So even though the EU is actually a bigger market, um, they care more about their deals with the UK for some reason. So that's pretty good. And I think that part of the reason for that might be because uh, German car manufacturers have apparently refused to um, export cars to the UK uh, because we, you know, we're not in the EU anymore kind of thing. Well, that's, um, I thought that was fantastic news, but I also think German car manufacturers, if they do that, they are really cutting off their nose to spite their faces because, I mean, I, I've got a driving license since I was about 18, so I've been driving for, you know, half my life now, and the amount of BMWs, Audis, and Volkswagens on the road in the UK is huge, and I believe that the UK, I think, is their second biggest export market after america so they really are just going to destroy their own economy and this is quite a weird thing because the reason europe wanted the uk to stay in is not because they like us or they want us in for any kind of like brotherly reason it's essentially two or three economies were propping up the whole of the eu obviously germany which is the central motor secondly the uk and thirdly france which was starting to falter and the reason they don't want us to leave is because if there's more pressure from the failing economies on economies like Germany, they're going to eventually be screwed because you can't have a redistributionist block where everything's redistributed from one economy or eventually it does just 
collapse. And they are going to be putting much more pressure on Germany without the UK in the EU, and even more if the Germans can't export, especially their cars, to the UK. But to have Japan on board is fantastic, and I think it'll be exactly the same with China and other countries. And you've got to remember, the, the Europe isn't the be-all and end-all, especially when it comes to manufacturing. I mean, if you look at China, if you look at you know India, if you look at Japan, Taiwan, all these places do an awful lot of manufacturing, probably more than the EU. And I think we've got a bright future outside of that block. And when it, it's not an if, when that collapses economically, it's going to be very good that we're not part of that collapse. Are you following, um the rest of the details regarding Brexit, Marco, if you could give us an update if you are. Well, I've done several, I, I don't know if people know, but I was an economics student. I've got a degree in um, business economics. Um, so I am quite up on the whole economic thing. And it was quite interesting. I did a couple of YouTube videos answering um, people's kind of like the left's nonsense about why Brexit will harm the UK, because it is utter nonsense. Um, but what I'm following really with it it just seems to be, to me, that what they keep doing is just kicking the ball into the long grass. They should have triggered Article 50 the day after the vote like they promised. They didn't do that. Um, David Cameron reneged on that, so he didn't have to do it. Theresa May left it for ages. Then there was the legal battle that she sort of invited in by leaving it for ages. And the problem you've got with this is it keeps being pushed back and back and out of the public's mind. Now, originally, Labour were all in to help Brexit. You know, they said they were going to help as well. Now they're not going to help. They're going to oppose it. And I think what they're doing, the whole of the parliamentary system seems to be coming together to delay it, delay it, delay it, water it down, and eventually it won't be what the people asked for. But I said that literally as soon as the votes were counted. I said, it's brilliant that people have spoken this way, but they will rob us of this democracy because there's no way that these people who are so invested with the banking system and have got all these friends in like these powerful institutions that benefit from the EU are just gonna let it go. And you've got to remember, Theresa May, not only is she an absolutely foul hag, she's also a liar, a complete liar. She campaigned for Remain. She met before the vote, she met Goldman Sachs bankers to reassure them that she was on their side and she was going to fight against Brexit. Now she's parading around, pretending to be the hero of this. Well, could you get any more two-faced than her? Yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy. But you know, it's kind of like that saying, you get the leaders you deserve. It's like the people pay so little attention to what's going on. This is the only reason that politicians can get away with this kind of stuff. So we really need to try to wake people up around us, I think. Um, and other news this week regarding the EU and Germany is that an 88-year-old grandmother has been put in prison, an actual prison sentence, not just jail, an actual prison sentence. Um, because she denies the official Holocaust story. So this is the hate speech stuff in, in the EU, which is obviously terrible, that I completely disagree with. Um, Why, well, the, the, the big thing with this is, it, you know, I love the way that 
everyone is constantly, especially in school, told to question everything. Like when I was a child, I used to love bonfire night. Tara, you're, you're British, so you must love bonfire night too. Fireworks, massive bonfire, you know, sneaking off from your parents to, to get some cans of beer and then loitering around the fire until late at night. Top British times. Everyone in America is now lost. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? But it, it was good times. And it was obviously based around the gunpowder plot to destroy Parliament. Now, when I was at school, quite a young age, I remember the teacher saying, you mustn't believe the gunpowder plot. We're going we're gonna to do like a historical exercise in questioning every facet of the established narrative to see if it was real or if it was carried out the way the government said. Was there enough gunpowder in Britain? How did Guy Fawkes get into the thing? Was it just a plot? By the, did they let him get away with it so they could blame Catholics to force through a Protestant... Um, yeah. Reforms, and they asked him. Did they torture a confession out of him? Does his yeah. signature look like it? He might have been tortured before signing the document. Exactly <laughs> yeah, so everything was yeah. questionable, even my beloved bonfire night. Damn them! And then I, I thought, well, this is cool. You can question everything, but not the Holocaust. Oh no! Then it's yeah. jail time, and it's almost like everyone's told question it all except for the one golden rule. And they always say the truth doesn't fear investigation, unless obviously it's the central pillar of the white guilt machine, which has been created to completely destroy us. Then, you know, and it's like a cult, isn't it? The, the whole Holocaust industry is like a cult. They make millions every year from perpetuating this white guilt, forcing it upon us, churning out movies, books, TV series, and some, you know, Grandma turns around and goes, yeah, I might just question a few of these figures. Well, off to jail for you. And that's meant to be a democracy. I mean, it's completely... Yes. Yeah. Sorry about that. I'm just moving something and it makes it flip the camera back and forth. Um, okay. So, uh, new figures saying how many Islamists are in, in the UK, Islamist extremists, whatever that's supposed to mean. I heard jihadis the other time. I heard this stat. But now they're saying there are 25,000 Islamist extremists, whatever that's supposed to mean. You know, I mean, if you actually look at the Pew Research studies, um, it shows that, you know, I don't actually know the exact number, but it's something like, you know, 30% of the Muslim population in the EU is generally pro-suicide bombing, you know, something like that. Uh, do you know the exact stats, Mark? I don't know the exact stats, but I remember seeing there was. It's really funny actually because the guy who came out with this was actually Trevor Phillips, and he at the time is a black fellow who was in charge of what was called the Equalities Commission, which is essentially like you know some kind of secret Soviet sort of police that was there to kind of enforce equality on like you know the block and get the gulags ready. But he sort of broke away from that. And he ended up doing a Channel Four documentary where he talked about these figures, and it's a shocking number of Muslims who actually agree with kind of like, you know, th really, really crazy things. So, you know, you might speak to them and then, you know, the liberals will say, only 25% of Muslims think gays should be stoned to death. You know, the other 75 think they should just be hung. You know, and it's like, and Trevor Phillips came out with, oh God, sorry. Trevor Phillips came out with these facts. And it was absolutely shocking the number of people that support this. And I always say to people, because people go, oh, it's only a minority of these people that do these acts. And that's very true, actually. You know, yeah. there's only a minority who are suicide bombers. But what you've got to remember is this minority only get away with it because they have a cohesive community that backs them, supports them, shelters them, and, you know, covers for them. 
And what I'll say is, just to, just to put a real fine point on this issue, is if a white guy walked into a church or a pub or a white community center, if those still exist anywhere, and, you know, started putting down the plans for, you know, going out and committing a crime with, you know, with a white nationalist motive, I bet they'd be arrested within 10 minutes of leaving the building because somebody would have phoned the police, say, hey, this guy's going to go and blow up Muslims or this guy's going to go and do some horrible atrocities. However, with Muslims, those people, they don't snitch on their own communities. They don't turn on their own. And the shocking thing that sort of Trevor Phillips was pointing out in these sort of documentaries, they do hold these very, very extreme beliefs and they will not speak to the police they will not um, you know, inform on their own brothers and sisters because they have this cohesive community and they're bonded by religion, family, culture. And because of that, their suicide bombers and their terrorists are so effective. And it's why when you see them go on the run, like I can't remember which, I think it was after one of the, the Bataclan massacre, one of them got away. And they couldn't catch him for months. He just disappeared into one of their communities. And they all sheltered him and passed him from here, there, everywhere. He was on the run for two months. Now, I'll tell you this. If a white guy tried to do anything, and I'm not suggesting they should or it'd be good, it'd be, you know, I don't believe violence is the way. But if a white guy did something like that, he would not be sheltered by anyone. His own parents would probably hand him in. And that is exactly why they are dangerous as a group. And obviously, these surveys always point out that they are so culturally hostile to us in every way. And I'm not just saying they're against, like, you know, open displays of homosexuality. But, you know, I've met women who've lived in places like Luton who got spat at walking to work from wearing a dress on a summer's day. And again, I'm not talking about walking down the street, you know, on a Friday night with a skirt hitched up, puking up against the side of, you know, WH Smith's or something. I'm talking about walking to work in a dress on a sunny day, being spat at and having abuse hurled at them. And that's the problem we face. It's a huge clash of cultures. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I actually, you know, as much as I personally, you know, aesthetically don't really like the way that Muslims live in their countries, um, you know, if they want to do that in their own countries and it works for them and everyone agrees with it, generally speaking, you know, fine. I don't care. I'm not going to go to those countries and try to change what they're doing. Uh, the problem occurs when they come to our countries and try to change what we're doing. Um, so, yeah. I actually I wanted to talk about BBC. So the BBC, in case you don't know, for Americans and other people living in the EU, is actually funded by the general public who are bullied into paying it like a tax for this. Um, if you own a television, you're expected to pay for BBC, basically. But the funniest thing the BBC was doing right now, and um, you must have seen this market, it's ridiculous. I only saw it like this week, but it's um, they've got like this Ebonics version yeah. Okay, yeah. Articles out now. <laughs> I just wanted to read. Like when I saw this, I thought it was a joke. Like several times, I was like, "Man, this must be a joke." I'm not even going to click on it. This is just a stupid joke. But I, I actually clicked on the link, and it's actually on the BBC website. And it's like, "Why China? They chop African donkey." That's the headline. Donkey meat day very popular for China. The price way damn day take by adult donkey for Kenya. Don increase with about 
225% since February 2017. This is now because Chinese people, they find donkey meat for different, different reasons. Donkey Sanctuary Way, the non-government organization, NGO, say with in less than six months, price for the animal don't climb from like $38 to the current price of like $126. And it just goes on like this. So, <laughs> the BBC was previously historically known for like having like the Queen's English, you know, and everything like that. And it's like they're trying to completely throw it on its head, aren't they? One of the things that keeps any group as cohesive, one of the things that keeps all groups working together in a cohesive manner is language. And that's one of the serious issues that we are facing today. I think the audio's come back there. Sorry. Good, I, yeah. good. Oh, that was a bit awkward. Forgive us, no, we haven't done this real <laughs> No, no, that was my fault. I was looking, sorry, what I was saying was, that that's, a, that's a big bloop on my behalf. I was so interested in actually seeing the um, the BBC Ebonics site. I was tapping away, so I, I muted my mic. But what I was trying to say was, um, on a serious level, is to build a cohesive society and a cohesive community, you actually need things that bind people together. And one of those things is language. One of those things is actually everyone speaking the same way. Because if you want to atomize a group of people, one of the oldest stories that everyone knows is the Tower of Babel, where they were trying to build a tower to heaven and couldn't because they were all atomized by eventually speaking different languages so they could never finish the tower. Um, and that's what we're getting now. And for major institutions that are funded by the taxpayer, like the BBC, to actually give up on English and further fragment our society and throw away these values that are meant to underpin a society is just insane. And also, I mean, what a load of crap. I mean, how are you even going to deal with schooling now? What, is there going to be sort of two GCSE sort of uh, basically tests where you have one for people who can actually write English and one will just be pidgin English, which you'll automatically get an A for as long as you scrawl anything on the paper that roughly looks like what could be English words in any form of sentence. I mean, it literally is, you know, moving towards, as we said, peak degeneracy. And this is actually, this actually is an attack really on one of these fundamental things that has held England and Britain together. But there's also another really interesting thing about the English language is it is such a rich language. It is something that has, you know, brought forth so many amazing writers. I mean, look at Shakespeare. His writings shaped really the whole kind of theatrical world. They still influence movies, plays, 
you know, television shows to this day. And for us to abandon that language and dumb it down to the level of pigeon English to please people who have come here in the last few years, to so throw all that away. I mean, what a sickening, what a sickening thing to do. It's just spitting in the faces of our ancestors yet again. And somebody in the comments has put something funny, but grammar is fascist. And that is literally what we're going to have soon, isn't it? You know, the, the, child who, the child who writes his essay correctly in the right English will be sent to the headmaster's office for being a fascist. That's where we're headed. Yeah, I remember when I was in, um, in secondary school, as we call it, high school in the UK, and um, I see, I didn't know what was going on, so I just didn't understand why the adults were all, like, encouraging us to, like, um, oh, don't you think you should be, you know, analysing rap songs rather than Shakespeare plays? And I was just like, no, why would we want to do that? <laughs> and, and they were just like, oh, but it's just as good. It's just a different kind of English. Like, you know, it's, it's more modern and more people could connect with it. And then when we were studying Shakespeare, it was like, they didn't have us actually watch Shakespeare plays. They had us watch these kind of butchered versions <laughs> with like people, uh, you know, dressed up like Ali G basically. <laughs> <laughs> through the motions. And it was like, what are you doing? Why can't we just watch the original Shakespeare play? You know, because I had already watched a load of Shakespeare plays because it was just kind of thing that I went and did, you know, I was quite into that kind of thing. So it's, uh, yeah, now I see what their agenda was, you know, they just had to get the diversity in there somehow. They just had to get the ebonics in there to make everyone feel included or whatever. What I hate as well is when you've got like a beautiful book of sort of traditional poetry or traditional prose, and that is kind of placed alongside a book which is just complete nonsense, written in pidgin English. And actually, if I was black people, if I was, if I was a member of the black community, I'd actually be insulted by that. It's almost like, you know when you get two kids and one paints an absolutely beautiful picture, and you know, they're obviously a great artist, and another kid is just, you know, completely useless, and their painting is a complete mess, but they both get a gold award and they're both like oh you, you know you're both winners here if you've got anything about you and you're the less talented kid you actually feel quite insulted you actually feel a little bit patronized that they've held your sort of rubbish up on the same level as something that's blatantly better and you you feel a bit kind of like uncomfortable you're like you're really patronizing me here you know why don't instead of you patronizing me you teach me how to improve my painting and then if i win the award next year when I come back and do another picture, I'll actually feel a sense of accomplishment. And if I was um, an adult from the, you know, African community in Britain or the African American community, you know, at the other side of the Atlantic, and I was being given an award for something that was blatantly crap, you know, in some patronizing way by a white liberal, I'd actually feel a little bit sort of upset, be like, why are you why are you patronizing me like this? Don't you think do you think don't you think I'm capable of actually competing on the same level as whites? And in a real serious way, when you think of it like that, are liberals the bigger racists, so to speak? Are the liberals actually saying that blacks haven't got the intelligence to read proper English or haven't got the intelligence to write proper English, that they can't actually compete with us? Because if that's what they're saying, well really they're the ones that are reinforcing the racial divide more than the likes of you or I. Yeah, and if anyone doesn't, you know, 100% believe what Mark's saying, or if maybe you um, 
you know, you think he's exaggerating or something. I'm sorry to say, but I've actually experienced stuff like this firsthand at school. And there was one particular incident that I'll talk about, but it's happened like on several different occasions, where this black guy, and I don't mean to be mean or anything, actually my best friend at the time was also black and she, she had excellent English and was very intelligent. Um, but this black guy who sat next to me in English and could not speak proper English, I swear, he spoke like, you know, gangster style English. Um, he scored higher than me in an oral English exam, rated by the teacher. <laughs> so I was at that point, I was just like, what is going on here? <laughs> I just can't win. Like I do what they tell me to do and they still downgrade me. <laughs> you know? And I, I think what happened is the teacher actually gave me a low grade in order to give this guy a higher grade in the hopes that it would balance out in the end. So it's just like, I had affirmative action going on, you know, even done by the teacher. And I know this teacher was a freaking egalitarian, you know, equality obsessed socialist from his other actions. So that really pees me off a lot, I can tell you. <laughs> so, and horrible to think about all of those, you know, white and Asian medical students who just get turned away even though they've got great grades because they need to shovel in some Africans and Hispanics or Muslims or whatever just to make their um, school photos look pretty, you know? It's really, really, it really makes me angry. Have you ever experienced anything like that, Mark, or know anyone has? I have. Um, the interesting thing is I knew a girl who actually worked in the NHS and she actually told me about the number of you know, these diversity quotas they had to meet in the NHS and the number of foreign nurses and sort of medical professionals in, in inverted commas that were being taken on by the NHS. And they were telling me, the, she told me the number of problems they actually had by people not being able to speak proper English. And this is something where you've got a serious problem. Now, I've been in, I've been in hospital, I'm sure most people have had like medical problems from time to time. And if you're trying to articulate to someone what is wrong with you? That can literally be a life and death scenario. And when you have people in hospitals lying on the wards in agony saying, this hurts, or, you know, I've got real pain here, and they're trying to describe the type of pain, if you can't, if you're meeting a diversity quota, you are literally putting people's lives at risk. And this girl was telling me they'd had serious issues on more than one occasion with specifically Africans on the wards who couldn't understand what was being said and couldn't properly articulate to the people they had to articulate the issues to what the problems were with different patients. And we're constantly told, oh, the NHS will collapse though if we don't have all these immigrants. No, it won't. You see, what you do, and this is a really, really radical proposal that might offend some people, is you get your own children and you train them and you give them a sense of worth and then you give them well-paid jobs. And that builds your community and causes what's called an upward economic spiral. But to say something like this in modern society, oh my God, you know, I'd have to be burnt at the stake for saying something like this. But instead, all they want to do is import these cheap, um, you know, nurses and sort of medical professionals from the third world, which has two effects. One, it actually damages our NHS, but number two, it actually rapes these third world and developing countries of 
their right and ability to develop because they need their most talented people to actually stop them being in the slide they're in now. So then they'll need less foreign aid. They'll need less Western help because they can raise themselves up. And they're never going to do that if we're taking their most talented. And we're never going to do anything good if we don't train our own to be talented. So it's actually a destructive cycle for everybody. Yeah, and I've experienced that as well. You know, a couple of years back, I was visiting a hospital in the UK and I tried to find the exit. I spent over half an hour trying to find the exit, asking people who were African on the night shift. For some reason, they put all the Africans on the night shift, like, oh, we'll just shove them on the night shift and we'll notice them or something. <laughs> I think there's a joke in there with that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I was, so I was going around asking these African nurses, like straight out of African nurses, I was like, Where's the exit? Where is the exit? How do I get out? And yeah, I was literally walking around for over half an hour trying to get out of a building. <laughs> so that's how bad it was. Uh, some of the doors were shut, obviously, so I couldn't just follow the signs because it was nighttime. But that's the situation that, um, that it causes. It's just constant irritations at minimum, life risks you know, at worst. And I'm sure people have died at the hands of incompetent diversity hires. And it's just sickening that we'll put up with this stuff. Um, so um, a Christian girl in the UK was forced to be um, fostered by a Muslim family. And you see the picture, it's, a, you know, it's, I guess she looks about six or seven, blonde hair. And she had her cross taken off her. She's Christian. Um, she was, the family apparently didn't speak English and they tried to make her learn Arabic. Um, so you can imagine all the sorts of situations here. Many Muslims uh, impose female genital mutilation on female children. So that's obviously a horrible risk that she was at. I don't know if that actually happened, but that's, you know, horrible to think about. Um, but let alone just the general trauma of being thrown into a completely different cultural group and expected to thrive. Um, in addition, we've seen the grooming scandal, which has gone all, all over the UK, but especially famously in Rotherham, where young girls are drugged, pimped out and raped by Muslims systematically in groups um, and on an ongoing basis for decades. So. Highly irresponsible if the people who work in foster care to do this isn't it, Mark? Uh, it's sickening. I mean, it's absolutely sickening. I mean, one thing that we've always been sold, the lie, the big lie the British people have been sold, because we're quite, you know, Britain is quite, a, unfortunately, a tolerant place, and we do tend to lie back and take a lot of this crap. But one of the things we were always sold was, oh, don't worry, they'll integrate they'll integrate to our ways and eventually they'll all speak English and wear jeans and a t-shirt and go to watch the football at the weekend and they might, you know, pray at a different temple, but that's just cosmetic and they might look slightly different, but, you know, at the end of the day, these are cosmetic things and we'll all end up, you know, coming together as a group. And this sort of foster thing is so shocking because it actually totally blows the whole idea of, um, them integrating and it's actually the other way around they're actually forcing now white children they're actually forcing white children to live with muslims learn arabic and adopt their ways of life so it's not integration it's the exact opposite 
It's almost like a form of colonialism. And the fact that these social services, these groups, are, these government groups are so happy to do this. And these social services, the, so, well, the social services are the same ones, and this is something that everyone's got to remember, that took foster children away from a couple because the couple voted UKIP. So a couple that voted UKIP had their foster children taken away but yeah, UK can, is UK Independence Party, which Nigel Farage ran, right? Yes, yeah. um, and they're not like you know, you know, we're not really. You're not talking about um, a party. You're talking about a party with numerous elected officials. You know, that had MPs, MEPs, that had councillors, that had large-scale representation. It's like the UK equivalent of voting Trump. You know, it's like America first. Yeah. Exactly, and you know it's very much alt light. If you know, if you were put, if you put anything, it'd be alt light at the harshest. And they were, they had their children, foster children, taken away. But then it's okay for white children to be put with Muslims who don't even speak English. And this is the government agenda. And again, it's another arm of the government doing this. So we've had the BBC; they're now translating everything into pidgin English. You've got white kids who are going to be sent away to live with Muslim families, and you can see. The, the insidious agenda they're pushing and the lie of integration isn't, you know, it's not integration. What it is, is Islamic and immigrant colonialism. We're the ones who are having to bend to their ways of life, not them having to fit in. It's not when in Rome, it's come to Rome, sack Rome and turn it into whatever you want. That is literally what our government and the liberal establishment are saying. Yeah, and we all know what happened to Rome. So it's not necessarily uh, a good idea to copy what they did. <laughs> um, so, yeah, one of the stories that you wanted to mention that happened this week um, is a Polish girl. I mean, this stuff happens so often. It's just like merged into one in my brain. But apparently this is a new story where a Polish girl on a beach in Italy was gang raped while her boyfriend was beaten up, right? It, yeah, it's a shocking story where a gang of these sort of third world migrants who have just come in, literally, you know, attacked her and her boyfriend, beat her boyfriend up, pinned him down while she was repeatedly raped and he was just forced to sort of lie there in the sand watching. Um, and again, somebody's rightly put in the comments, um, North Africans. And this is what we are importing. Sorry, Matt, do you mean that they like literally just turned up on the boat or do you mean... Yeah, yeah, they're, they're literally people who just come in. They were literally, these migrants are pouring into Italy, sometimes tens of thousands um, in a weekend. So they just washed up on this beach? Is that how it I happened? I think they or? literally washed up in the last like five minutes okay. before it happened. Because that but happens, were, I mean, you do, yeah, see, yeah, yeah. You do see it. Like, they, yeah, you yeah, do see them they just kind of just coming onto the beach. Yeah, oh yeah, it's, I mean, it's sure a full-scale invasion. You know, it's a yeah. full-scale invasion. And this is the... These are the victims. Now, one thing I want to say about this, I'm not going to come out with a boilerplate points about immigration because we all know what I'm going to say about that. I don't want any immigration. I don't want, you know, these people in Europe. And that's always been my stance. But what I will say is, where are the feminists? Where are all, where's the feminist outcry? You know, because I can tell you this, if there was gangs of white men going out, picking up underage girls or pinning couples down in the sand and raping en masse like these people are doing. You would literally have feminists out 
on mass protests, they would be saying that men need curfews at night, that men shouldn't be on the street, that men are the biggest threat to Western civilization. But when it's immigrants, not a peep. The, fe the whole feminist lobby is completely silenced. And then you would usually get some absolute hideous little rat like uh, that penny that lorry penny who will come out and say oh it was a horrible thing but my biggest concern is that racists will use this as a tool to make people fear immigrants and that really sums up the entire sort of feminist ideals that really it's nothing about women really it's just about the destruction of western civilization you know so they don't mind if muslims commit atrocities against women. They don't mind if African migrants rape Polish girls on, the, on a beach. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because those people are helping to bring down Western civilization because that's the game plan. And whether they do it through feminism, immigration, multiculturalism, Islam, the LGBT lobby, it doesn't matter as long as Western civilization collapses. That's all they care about. I don't know what they're thinking. You know, they seem to hate straight white men, but aside from that, they don't seem to have any consistency whatsoever to what they do or why they say they do it. Um, so the other thing you wanted to cover was something, again, that happened in the UK, which is the, the Notting Hill Carnival, which is like this celebration of multiculturalism, um, where people were going around assaulting female police officers and- Humping their legs in public. It was that was a, a black you know, guy who did that, so just yeah, FYI, yeah. we don't we don't censor ourselves. Just push, you know, it's like black guy walks up to female police officer, pins her against the railing, starts humping her leg, her colleague stands there smiling awkwardly as it happens. No arrests were made, you know. I think there was about 31 police officers who were assaulted. There was dozens and dozens of arrests you know, stabbings, drug crimes, you know, there were several attacks. acid attacks. And this is the this is the sort of showpiece of multiculturalism in England, you know, the Notting Hill Carnival. I mean, usually it ends in a riot. So, you know, we didn't get the full house here. You know, we got we got most of it, but it, it lacked its it lacks its Maybe right. next year, Mark. Well, the, the, the funny thing <laughs> the funny thing about this is the police this year did preemptive arrests they actually went out and arrested hundreds and hundreds of known criminals and trouble causers confiscated 190 bladed weapons and tried to confiscate everyone's drugs before the carnival now obviously there was some rapper who calls himself Stormzy, who apparently is super famous, but I'd never heard of him, so he, he's not famous, he's just some rapper. And he came out and said how racist it was, how awful it was that all these weapons and drugs were confiscated pre-carnival. And I think, you know, if you get all this carnage after the preemptive arrests and 190 bladed weapons and all their drugs being taken off them, can you imagine what it had been like if they'd have just been allowed to get on with it? There would have literally been utter carnage. And this, this must cost, I mean, several police officers have called for it to be banned because they are just like, you know, picking off officers at certain points. And when you see what goes on at these things, if this was something like, you know, if this was something like, 
a parade in in, ter, in in sort of reverence of British values or something like that, it'd be banned in a heartbeat. But this is the jewel in the crown of multicultural Britain, so it must be defended, uh, you know, at all costs, at absolutely all costs. But I can tell you this: one year that carnival is going to go big off. Oh, somebody's got it. The Carn Notting Hill Carnage. That's quite a good name for it, actually. If I a solitary candle, if I use that in one of my podcasts, I will definitely. Uh, reference you for coming up with that good name but one year this is going to go off and there is going to be such a serious riot and there is going to be so much carnage you're going to see one of those huge riots where the whole of london burns again because you can see it's just a tinderbox waiting to go off and if you're having to do that amount of preemptive arrests and you're still getting that level of violence anyone with half a brain can see the stuff bubbling away there that is not good and the serious problems brewing in London in these big melting pots. Sounds a little bit how my high school used to prepare for offset inspections that actually <laughs> they'd take all the troublemaking kids and they'd send them on a school trip. To, really? uh, yeah, they'd actually send them to like a theme park or something, you know, so they could be off doing roller coasters while the inspection team came in to see how the school was run. Did you ever see that episode of The Simpsons where they had an inspection at the school and Skinner and groundskeeper Willie locked all the bad kids like underground in one of like the uh, in like the boiler room so none of them could get out and ruin the inspection? It sounds a bit like that, and I suppose that's what they're doing with the, like the Notting Hill Carnival. You know, if you, if you get the if you get most of the bad ones out, hopefully this year it won't be the riot to end all riots. <laughs> you know, just a few acid attacks and stabbings because that's oh yeah, the usual. Every day in London now. So, yeah, but instead of actually punishing the bad kids, you know, my school found a way to reward the worst kids <laughs> in the school every well, that's year. The way, like, that's oh. the way it's got to be, hasn't it? That's the way it's got to be. Yeah. It's like, you know, like we talked earlier about, you know, the black kid who can't write a single, you know, verse of like cohesive prose. He has to be, you know, he has to be front and centre on awards night at the school reading out his poem. You know, yeah. and it's the same there with the bad kids. They get sent to Alton Towers for the day, so Ofsted gives you five out of five. Unless your school's too white, obviously. Like there was that right. school that they said it was too white, so they downgrade it from outstanding to just quite good because there wasn't enough black kids at the school. I mean, how insane is that? Yeah, English school too English. Yeah, English you know, school too it's English. It's a good thing they're not visiting China because I'd be like, oh, these schools are too Chinese. It's terrible. We have to downgrade them all, even though Chinese get the best math schools out of the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the wonderful thing about liberals, isn't it? When they go to other countries, they love it being cohesive and cultural. So if you ever speak to a liberal that's travelled, they always say things like, but Mark, when I went to Japan, it was so wonderful and Japanese and, oh, it was great. And when I went to India, I reveled in their local cultures and customs. And you're like, so, so we can't do that here? No, 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 of course not. We don't have a culture. We're just cultureless barbarians that stole yeah. everything from the rest of the world. And and like, if, mm. if you think Mark is exaggerating, he is not. My own aunt told me we don't have a culture during a, yeah, during yeah. a little argument we were having, yeah. We don't have a culture. I mean, and the other thing is when people say, you see, what I love is when I, I really love it when people like Beyonce get up and say, but, but the whites, they took everything from us. And, you know, it's time to assert our black. It's like, look here, love. Number one, you're not as attractive as everyone makes out. 
Number two, your music gets written for you, which makes it essentially crap, because all you are is a glorified karaoke singer. And number three, the only reason you have any recorded music whatsoever is because we invented the microphones and the mixing desks and the recorders and all the other things that sit around you. Because if it wasn't for us, you would just be some unknown individual dancing around in a grass skirt in a country thousands of miles away. You wouldn't be the millionaire icon you are today if the West didn't exist. So when these black celebrities and these rappers and these movie stars come out and demean what the West has done, they're only icons because of what the West has achieved. And they'd be better off remembering that before they opened their mouths. Possibly. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's insane. And the reason people have such insane misperceptions is, is because of the education system. You know, it's because the blacks are repeatedly told white stole everything from you. It's like, oh, really? They hadn't even invented wheels by the time we showed up in the sub-Saharan Africa. Anyway, let's get back to the news, shall we? So, slightly more important topic, I guess. It's all relative, but um, judge denies bond for Christopher Cantwell, who used pepper spray in self-defense during a rally against Antifa. Um, because, and I quote from the article, his hate speech makes him a threat to others. This is in Virginia, in the USA. Well, you spoke a lot about that last week, so I'm going to let you open on this one. What, what, are, your, what are your feelings on that? Because I, I, one thing I'll say before you say this, I'll say this about this. Um, I saw in the comments last week, a lot of people were a little bit anti-Christopher Cantwell because of his, his sort of, you know, tearful, emotional video. And I, I got to admit, I was a little bit at first, but after speaking to Tara, I think, it, I think it is worth, Tara did something really good in that show, for me anyway, in that her sort of humanity and compassion, I think we could all embody a little bit of that and remember that he is one of us. And it's very easy to throw crap at other people. But let's remember, I know it was cringe, and somebody said it was cringe. It was, but let's have a bit of humanity for the guy because ultimately he is one of us. And the fact is, if we're going to save up our bile for people, let's save it for the left and not one of us. So that was just what I wanted to interject there. Right. Yeah, I mean, so aside from Cantwell's personal situation, which I hear he's okay, like he's he's kind of um, doing recorded phone calls with people and they're posting them online and he seems reasonably fine, uh, as far as fine as one can get when they're in jail facing 20 years, which has now been up to 60 years in, in prison. Can you believe it? 60 years for using pepper spray in self-defense in the United States, where it's totally illegal to do so, as far as I understand. Um, but yeah, the weird part is, I have to say that like, this is quite weird because the Supreme Court has ruled that hate speech, that term, hate speech, is not illegal, it's protected by the First Amendment, and it's not a legal term, but for some reason, the judge, the US judge, is citing hate speech as a reason for him not getting bail. <sighs> Well, I mean, 
when I, when I hear things like that, I know the judiciary, it's, it's, it's like with all of our great institutions, the judiciary is there to protect us. It's there to protect and serve and, and help society stay on a just and decent path. But like with every one of our great institutions that we've discussed tonight, whether that be healthcare, whether that be education, whether that be the system of governance, everything's been hijacked and turned against the West, literally everything. And the problem with, I know the problem with law in the UK is judges more or less make it up as they go along. They do have to adhere to certain things. And, but law in the UK, is very much influenced by previous judgments made by judges. So if a judge makes a judgment, that judgment can be overturned. And if it's not overturned, that goes into what's called case law, which can then be cited by other judges, other barristers, solicitors, or, or QCs. I don't know if the situation is the same in America. And Cantwell may be able to get that overturned. But in the meantime, unfortunately, He's going to have to sit in some horrific prison, but I've at least heard that he has been put in segregation for his own good. Yeah, they have put him in segregation. Now, at first, he asked them if they would put him in segregation because he didn't know how aggressive the people inside were going to be toward him. Um, but now they are actually keeping him in segregation somewhat against his will because he would actually prefer to be able to intermingle with people at this point. Um, Either way, at least he's safe, you know. So um, yeah, hopefully he'll be able to to ride out the boredom. You know, well, I, I can honestly happens. say, I my heart goes out to him because I've been on, as I said last week, on serious race charges before, and I can tell you this: it is a very stressful time. And you know, again, I just want to you know reiterate what I said earlier that let's have a bit of humanity for the guy because. It is a hard time, and he might have had a little bit of an outburst and a little bit of a breakdown, but ultimately, he is he is going through an awfully difficult time. And having gone through that myself, I know how stressful it is, especially, and I can imagine it'd be more stressful where he is in the current political climate in America. So, you know, I really hope he, um, I really hope he comes through this, and ultimately, I hope he manages, you know, to, to get out of this. Right, and talking about hate speech and stuff, I mean, this one is unbelievable. I mean, I keep seeing these things, it's like, no, I can't be real, can't be real, can it? And then you look it up, this. So a man has actually been arrested and charged with offending Muslims by eating a bacon sandwich in front of them on a train in Sweden. Really? I'd not, I'd not see, again, We've, we've managed to plumb a new low tonight. With each story, it's a new low, but that is insane. I, I haven't heard that, so I'll let you take the mic on that one, Tara, because that, that is news to me. Yeah, well, apparently, all the, the only extra information about that I know is that it, the Muslims were veiled Muslim women. You know, It offended them that he was eating a bacon sandwich opposite them. So I don't know if he was purposefully showing them that he was eating bacon or something, but... Whatever went down. How did, they know it? how did they know it was bacon? Was it? I mean, it might have said so on the packaging, I suppose. But how insane! Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know those details, but that yeah. Is All that what it's going to be though soon? Where you know you go into a public place. I mean, are there going to be segregated like KFCs and McDonald's? So you go into McDonald's for a breakfast, and they say um, you're not going to be having one of the pork breakfast items, are you? Because if you are, you'll have to sit at that side of the restaurant behind the black curtain so you don't offend any of the uh, Muslims. 
you know is that is that what we're moving towards and that's that's a very interesting idea actually because one of the things that immigrants specifically the black community have said for so long is that they that their fight against segregation and now the segregation is going the other way with safe spaces new rules of what you can and can't do in public to not offend an immigrant and this has got to be a new low because you know, we, we heard about the guy who got put in jail last week. We talked about the guy who was put in jail and sadly died because he threw um, a bacon sandwich at a building. And now we've taken it to a new low where you just walk down the street now with the bacon sandwich and you're thrown in jail. I mean, absolutely insane. Right. Continuing with the theme of insanity, um, scientists in, I think it's a UK study, are giving Caucasians, that's us, uh, oxytocin, that's a, a hormone associated with love and bonding, uh, to make them more receptive to refugees, you see? We have a, we have a um, phobia, Mark, we have a refugee phobia, and the solution, thankfully found out by these scientists, is to pump us full of love hormones. Well, I mean... <laughs> What can I say? I mean, that's, I mean, we talk about, we talk about a police state where children are sent to the headmasters and have a permanent record on their, on their, you know, on their file for simply calling a little boy, a little boy, and a little girl, a little girl. And now you've got a case where people are actually going to be drugged in order to, to make them think happy thoughts when they, when they see people that naturally they want to, um, you know, give a, you know, get, keep a fair distance between them and these these immigrants. It's absolutely insane, but it doesn't surprise me. But the next step in anything like this will be mass prescriptions of this to people who express views that the state don't like. And for me, again, for men, this will be particularly bad because if it's a love hormone, I hate all this nonsense where they want to get men in touch with their feelings and they want to get men, you know, in touch feminine, with the feminine side. And it, the emasculation of men is just disastrous because it takes away our, our fighting spirit. And what you'll literally have is a case where all these men on these drugs will want to go and literally hug the people who want to take their women, take their jobs, attack them and colonize their country so literally it's just another way of robbing our men of being what they should naturally be which is warriors and it, the funny thing about this it actually mirrors a film and most of you probably won't have seen this film but it had christian bale in um and it was a film where everyone in society was forced to take a drug that robbed them of any strong emotions to keep society um on like an even keel so people never ever um rebelled against e equilibrium that's it shout out to king kenny he came up with the name it's called equilibrium it's got christian bale in sean um sean beans in it as well and essentially these everyone in society had to take these tablets and it kept them regulated it kept them stepping out of line and this is kind of like this dystopian science fiction film it should send a shiver down your spine because everyone wore exactly you know everyone was in yeah brave new world there's another that was a book we actually read at gcse it's the same thing with brave new world they all self-medicated to stop themselves ever feeling anything that the government didn't want them to feel and these these books these films were meant to sort of fill you with a little bit of sense of dread and where you think, hmm, 
yeah, this, this could go down a very dangerous line with all these big pharmaceutical companies and the government, you know, being able to change the way people behave so they never step out of line. And we're actually getting to this point, and so-called scientists who should be at the fore of free thinking and um, free thought are the ones imposing it upon us. It's absolutely insane. And, you know, this was a film that if people, at the time, you know, it's the kind of film that I might have watched, and somebody like my mum would have said, like, oh, Mark, that's a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Everyone taking drugs to stay in line. And now it's, you know, front page of the Daily Mail or whatever, and she's reading it saying, bloody hell, Mark, that's that weird film you watched all those years ago. Yeah. Um, so I think we should probably make sure that we obviously include uh, Hurricane Harvey that happened in Texas and some parts of Louisiana, down in Houston, I think it is, South Texas. And our good friend Bree, she was caught up in that? Yeah, yeah in fact, um, I wanted to talk to her about that. I'm not sure if we're going to do that or not, but um, yeah, she's, she's okay. Like she's got enough food and water and everything so uh she's as okay as you can get in that situation um but yeah i just wanted to mention you know um tw about 20 people have died as a result of it which is you know obviously very sad um however you know in similar floods in other parts of the world you know for example a very similar flood happened at the same time in india 1,200 people died. So I think that goes to show that when you when you have preparedness, I know a lot of people down there are like preppers and everything, and when you have good cooperative community, and of course when you have um, emergency services people all working together, you can actually present, prevent like over a thousand deaths of that kind of situation that otherwise would have happened without that. Um, Definitely. I, I did see that scandalous story, though, where there were several different charities that were literally banding together to only help coloured people and minorities. There are actually charities coming together to specifically, again, not help, the, not help people in general, but to help just minorities. I mean, again, another absolute scandal where people want to make white people second-class citizens. Oh yeah, there were multiple charities, multiple organizations basically denouncing helping white people and, and saying that we need to help minorities first, etc. Um, so that's, you know, ridiculous. I mean, I just can't imagine how insane these people are. You know, they're actively discriminating against white people. But hey, they've been doing it for decades in every and other obviously place, so. Obviously, the biggest story of the hurricane, you know, the, the big story, and I mean the big story, wasn't the death, the flooding, people's homes being ruined, but the left was so eager to talk about Melania Trump's shoes. I mean, that's what they were really obsessing about. Not, you know, the cost <laughs> to the yeah. city, the people. Well, the funniest thing is, I don't know if you... Did you see the, the actual Vogue writer who wrote the article in like Vogue fashion magazine about no, her shoes? Like, so she was like ripping at what Melania Trump was wearing. Meanwhile, when you look at actual photos of this lady, she looks like the queen out of Alice in Wonderland, <laughs> like, but Trump style. I always think she looks, I always think Melania Trump, the one, I know why liberals and the left hate Melania Trump, 
It's because she looks beautiful and she's an yeah. archetype of Western beauty. And they hate Western beauty. And they hate oh, Western beauty yeah. for a reason. You see, this is a little bit of a rant of mine, so bear with me here. They hate excellence, but with beauty, beauty is something that's not really defined by itself. Like a giraffe is defined by being a giraffe. You can put a giraffe next to an elephant, a mouse. You can put it next to a tower block or a tree and it's still a giraffe. But beauty is something that appears on a scale. So beauty exists because ugliness exists, like fast exists because slow exists. So a same bolt, he's the fastest man on the planet and he is first. But if all of a sudden every human being could run the 100 meters in less than 10 seconds, the same bolt would just be slightly better than average. And that's how some things exist. They're not just defined by themselves, but they are defined by their opposite. And beauty is something that is defined equally by ugliness. And that's why the left want to destroy beauty. Because beauty is something that West, the Western world has deified. It's another display of Western excellence. So they absolutely hate it. They want to crush it. And they want to hold up these hippopotamuses like Tess Holliday and say, that's the new beauty. That's the new standard. And when they see somebody like Melania Trump, who is classy, who is beautiful, who holds herself well, they want to pull it down and trash it, just like they want to trash every facet of our excellence and our greatness. And I think it's absolutely disgusting. And again, where are the feminists? Because I'll tell you, if there's any feminist watching me calling Tess Holliday a hippopotamus, which she clearly is, I would be absolutely admonished. But the fact is, everyone on the left calls Paul Melania Trump out for everything. And the feminists- Even her accents. Yeah, like, I know. And if, if we were to do mocking accents, of a, a Pakistani, a Jamaican, I'd probably get locked up for that. You know, if I walk down yeah. the street, but if they do a mocking accent of Melania Trump and call her out and criticize her for one of her dress and pull her down and try to call her, you know, all these horrible names, the feminists and the anti-racists are completely silent. And again, it's a complete double standard. But again, another attack on an important facet of the West, which is our beauty standards and our excellence. Yeah, and a lot of people ask me, like, why do you think conservative women are so much more attractive than leftist feminists who have a tendency to be fat and ugly? <laughs> and I tell them it's because we believe in competition, we believe in inequality, we believe, you know, all these kind of values, we believe in nature and we respect natural male-female differences, etc. And they are reality-denying, um, you know, very mentally immature people who think that it doesn't matter whether you take care of how you look or not, because everyone's equal anyway, right? No, exactly. And, and the thing that bothers me as well with beauty standards, like I go to the gym, I train, I'm not saying like I'm Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise, but I do put effort in to make sure that I'm in shape, that my body's in a good form, and it, it takes time, it takes work. And I know that for somebody like Tara, keeps fit, her hair's always lovely, her appearance is always, you know, spot on. And again, that takes time, it takes effort. And 
the, the whole thing of attacking beauty standards is basically saying you shouldn't put any effort in. You shouldn't take any pride. You shouldn't strive for anything greater. And again, that is a fundamental attack on the Western spirit. Because we as people have always strived for greatness, whether that be in our poetry, in our literature, in our art, in our architecture, or in the beauty of our women and the strength of our men. And they want to take it away from us. And fundamentally, when we are all Tess Holiday hippopotamuses, we're essentially helpless because our birth weight will be reduced because it reduces fertility. And how the hell are we ever going to defend our communities if we can't even roll off our sofas? <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even health, you know, very even health deniers, you know, they, they think that if you have, you know, if you're obese, which increases like your probability of all cause mortality, uh, and drastically reduces your quality of life and ups all your medical bills and everything like that. They think it's perfectly good and it should be promoted for people to accept about how fat they are and to even get fatter. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's, again, it's like every child gets a gold medal for writing something, whether it's crap or absolute brilliant. Now, it's health at any size. So everyone goes to the doctor and they want the clean bill of health stamped on their medical records, whether they're, you know, an athlete or, you know, some some whale that's been brought in there on a hospital bed with a breathing device stuck to their face because they've lived for the last 20 years on Doritos, burgers, and extra-large pizza, and, you know, full-fat Coke. But they want to be told that their level of fitness is equal to mine, and their lifestyle will be equal to mine, and people, and on top of that, that every man should look at them and say, not only are you fit and healthy, but you're also beautiful. I mean, it's such a mockery. It literally is like the emperor's new clothes, you know, in sort of physical fitness form. Yeah, we are living in an emperor's new clothes kind of world. I mean, you, even this week it came out that, that this really like morbidly obese woman um, was complaining that she didn't get enough money on, on welfare to be able to buy food. So, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> You know, you could probably survive about six months without eating, just FYI, <laughs> you know, in case you're worried about that thing. <laughs> I, don't know if you saw my, I don't know if you saw my Twitter, um, but there was that woman called Sharon who had been on that documentary, and she, um, she claimed that her benefits payments weren't enough to put food on the table. And you're looking at her, and you're thinking, love, you literally are like the size of a baby elephant. You know, <laughs> I'm bigger than a baby elephant on the table. I mean, the amount of food she eats in a week, I'd, I'd be surprised if her table was left standing. You know, the weight of it would bring it down. She's, she was monstrous. And these people, and that's another thing, isn't it? All these people who claim they've got no money for food or need to go down the food bank or are living in poverty, they're all the size of a house. And you're thinking to yourself, but I saw one woman and she said, she said, I can't afford to feed my family healthy food. She opened and she, she was grinning. I mean, obviously the Daily Mail sometimes write these articles. I'm sure they do it just to make me laugh. Um, and she opens up a cupboard and there's Pop-Tarts, there's Doritos, there's Pringles. And you're thinking to yourself, she can't afford food. She's got all the branded goods that are the most expensive. Now I know if you, if basically, you're tight on money. You can go down and buy cabbage, 
potatoes, carrots. You can you can get the you know the ingredients for dumplings. You can get some meat stock. You can make yourself stew that can last you a week, last a family, you know, almost a week for less than you'd buy you know pop tarts and pringles for because it's those rubbishy sugary branded goods that do you so much harm that are also the most expensive actually fruit and veg is the cheapest thing on supermarket shelves it's actually sickening mark you know that these people eat so much or when there are starving people in the world yeah because no, it is there are entire there are millions of families that live off like a sack of rice and a sack of lentils a month you know and there are these people who are just sitting there stuffing their faces. Anyway, we've gone a little bit off topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just, <laughs> I wanted to add, um, just the last article I have here to talk about is, um, it was an actual scientific study done at Surrey University um, talking about how ethnocentric groups far outperform any other um, structure of group that they tested, including humanitarian groups, which you know might be also known as socialist groups um, and pro-individualist groups, such as libertarian-style groups, in in a computer program that they ran. So there's legitimate scientific evidence pointing to you know good reason why we should have an ethnocentric, you know, prioritizing our own people within our own country um, kind of structure and ethos um, in politics and pointing out that if we don't, and if we want to be individualists or humanitarians, we've actually just signed our own extinction warrant, you know. That doesn't surprise me. I'd please look, can you please send me that article? Because it's something that um, I was actually debating with one of my friends. And the simplest way to sum it up is by saying, does the beehive work because the bees are all cohesive and work together towards a common goal? Or does it work because they all want to be different, behave like individuals and fly off and do their own thing? And the answer is self-explanatory. And when people do have that homogeneity, when people do have cultural, racial, tribal bonds, they identify with each other and they pull in the same direction. When people have large life divides, large differences, they're not going to work together. And that to me, is it's so good to hear it. But the scary thing about it is that should simply be common sense. We shouldn't need scientists to tell us what is essentially common sense. And one thing that really pleased me about what you said there was they also outshone these libertarian groups. Because I get on on a lot of points with many libertarians, but their poisonous mantra that the only way to beat the left's identity politics is by being an individual is just utter cack. Because at the end of the day, we are not um, anime superheroes. We're not some cartoon warrior that can raise themselves up with some mystical martial art and defeat a hundred men with a single blow, like, you know, like some Japanese cartoon. We're human beings. And ultimately, Joseph Stalin said, Quantity has a quality all of its own. And when you stick together as a group, you can overcome another organized group. But this libertarian poison, where the only way we can beat the leftists' identity politics is by becoming an extreme individual, is 
absolute nonsense because the left understood that what made the, the West great was tribal, racial, national identity. And they broke that, but then gave that wonderful identity politics to immigrant groups and to divisive groups that would destroy the West. And we really need that homogeneity. We need that cultural consciousness. We need to come together because this isn't a comic book. This isn't some crazy Hollywood film or anime. This is something where if we don't stand together, we will be overwhelmed. And sometimes you have to listen to the wisdom of your enemies, whether you like them or not. Sometimes they say clever things. And Joseph Stalin, quantity has a quality all of its own. And what he meant by that is we just keep pouring in troops until we overcome because ultimately when you've got a large cohesive body you can overcome smaller or more individualistic groups yes um well obviously one of the main criticisms of anyone who criticizes individualism is that they are a collectivist and therefore the same thing as a communist right so i just want to debunk that by saying yeah, that Ethnocentrism is inbuilt into us. Babies are ethnocentric. Plants are ethnocentric in their own little way, you know, towards plants of their own species. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and their own subspecies, etc. Um, dogs are, you know, ethnocentric. We all have, you know, ethnic nepotism, ethnocentrism, some, you know, racism on some level. I'm not trying to, you know, very, very different definitions of racism now, so that gets a little bit tricky. Um, but, you know, nepotism, the desire to take care of your own biological children rather than other people's, the desire to give gifts to your extended family and leave your wealth to them when you die, that kind of thing, is all basically ethnocentrism. And it's inbuilt yeah. into us and has to be browbeaten out of us by the entire education system, mainstream media and politicians and laws. Um, <laughs> exactly. So it's not something that needs to be imposed by the government. We don't need to impose ethnic cooperation with our governments um, in the same way that communism is imposed by an external force onto people whether they like it or not. So it's not a matter of trying to impose or force ethnocentrism upon people, but rather it's it's more a matter of just allowing it to happen naturally without, you know, trying to enforce multiculturalism, diversity, etc., which is the true, you know, tyranny happening here. No, exactly. I couldn't have put it better myself. I mean, the fact that, you, you know, you summed it up perfectly. They, they had to beat our ethnocentrism out of us. They had to take away our natural urges to make us individuals. And in my book, there's a chapter. If everyone, anyone free to download my book from www.fallofwesternman.com. If you read any chapter, though, read the one that's called The Cult of Individualism. Please read that. It would really help you with what we've said tonight because it's all about, you know, it, it's only about, you know, 15 pages maybe of a, you know, 300 page book. So just, just give it a read. And I, I can tell you this, you'll get a lot from it because it talks about how now everyone in the West is so desperate. When I say West, I mean Western people are so desperate to create divisions between themselves and others and become the ultimate individual who's completely separate, doesn't look like others, doesn't act like others, is completely unique. But the problem is, that just leads to an atomized society. And when you've got an atomized society and that atomized society faces 
a culturally cohesive and hostile immigrant group, it's no, it doesn't take a scientist or a genius or somebody with huge intelligence to realize what the outcome of that struggle will be. Absolutely, and we're already experiencing disenfranchisement. You know, we're already becoming second-class citizens in our own countries as a result of this. Uh, you can only imagine what's going to happen once we become minorities. We are not going to be treated well. Just look at South Africa. Um, yeah. So I think I think we've covered most of the stuff yeah, this yeah. week. Let's see if people have any questions. Five minutes of um, questions, questions, people. There's been some, yeah. to be honest, I've been smiling a lot because some of the comments in the chat, I think there's a guy called Conig's Tiger in there and some of his comments tonight have been particularly amusing and so have some of the others. And thanks for the help when I lost my way with the Equilibrium, uh, the Equilibrium uh, movie name there, guys, as well, because that was, uh, it was on the tip of my tongue and I just couldn't find it. If anyone has got any questions, just quick questions for either yeah. me or Tara. We've got five minutes left. What's the yeah, future of Great Britain, that somebody asked. Oh, no, thank you for hosting me. I really enjoy these shows. Obviously, I have, have no life on a Friday night, so I'm, I could be here till 11 o'clock. Tara has a much better quality of life than me, so she's itching to get away and actually do something fun. Um, <laughs> but somebody says, what's the future of Great Britain? Um, for me, very quickly, it's two things. It's either, it's either rebirth or it is a huge three-way clash. Three-way Traditionalists, like me, Muslims, and the Marxist degenerates. That's going to be the clash. We either win or you're going to see this clash. And when you see this clash, you know, and I'm not talking a race war because I don't believe there will be, but there will be some form of political and socioeconomic clash. And sure, there'll be violence along the way, you know, uh, but that's what it'll come to. Have I, do I still get harassed by the police? Um, I'm going to say no because I haven't been, but I'm going to touch wood because I don't want to be. What my school days like, Mark, they were really good. I could do an entire show on the practical jokes and nonsense that went on in school. And if I could go back to my young schoolboy self, I'd say, Mark, enjoy it even more because they're the best days of your life. And they really were good. And they were extra good because back in the day, we had the N64. So anyone who's an 80s kid and knows about four-player Goldeneye, you'll know what I'm talking about. So I'm sure I'll get some comments there. Tara, are you pregnant now? Oh, I'm not going to talk about my personal life. But that's oh, okay. No, yes. that no. No, <laughs> no questions like that. How's the book going, Tara? Oh, it's good. I've taken a little break from writing yet, but I'm going to get back in now. And I think I've got a slightly fresh perspective. It's a little bit strange for me writing a book on this topic because it's like, you know, it's evolving and changing all the time. It's like talking about the old right and it's like, woo, how do you keep up with this thing? So, yeah, but it's uh, I'm really looking forward to getting it out. Um, I just wanted to mention for people, we are going to get um, I'm going to post like all the links, uh, but I've mentioned news stories, etc. in the replay. Um, and yeah, let's, uh, should we wrap up there, Mark? Yeah. Yeah. And thanks, uh, you know, thanks for all the questions. And, um, obviously do I have a girlfriend? That was the last question. <laughs> if I had a, if I, if I had a girlfriend, you think I'd be sat here on a Friday night doing this? <laughs> My God. <laughs> oh, I don't. <laughs> thanks guys. I like the way that like, no one's going to give you the real personal questions, but with me, it's school. What do I do in my free time? Any anything else? Any other deeply personal questions for me? You know, <laughs> medical history. 
A level result. I got four A's at A level, so you can all you can all hear that. I did well. I did well at A level. It worked out well for me. But thank you, guys. And I'll hand you over to Tara so she can close the show. Thanks for having me on, Tara. It's been an absolute pleasure. Awesome. Yeah, it's been fun. And thanks to the 250 people who joined us live and the many other people who tuned in um, but couldn't watch the whole broadcast. Um, I'm going to be putting this on bitshoot.com for the replay um, and also on my other channel. So you can find the replay if you want to watch it. Um, and yeah, have a great day and join us next week. Same time, same place. Bye bye.